In its quest to provide an open forum for discussion of controversial issues, this station allows hosts and their guests to express themselves without any significant censorship. You're advised that any views expressed by the hosts or their guests are not necessarily the views of Tuggy Entertainment or its partners. Welcome to Stop Raising Einstein. Your host, Tara Kennedy-Klein, is out to dispel that myth of the perfect child and encourage parents to let them out of the box. Each child is unique, and this show is just the place to stand up and shout out that fact that children need to be raised to discover their own unique brilliance. So right now, join the queen of accountability who advocates positive parenting and unique education for spirited children. Here is your host, Tara Kennedy-Klein. Hey, Parent Nation. Oh my gosh, I am so glad to be back. I know that you have been listening to Encore shows since, you know, the week before Christmas or whatever. I have been taking a wonderful, well-deserved break. Um, For those of you who listen to the show regularly, I have this little toy business that I run, um called TK's Toy Box. And what we do is we work with charitable organizations and uh, giving programs, charitable giving programs who give gifts to kids at the holidays. And so basically between October and the week before December, I turn into one of Santa's elves and kind of dive into that work and do it uh, 24-7 for, for several weeks. And it is exhausting, but it is also very rewarding. And it, uh, it, keeps me, it keeps me alive. It keeps me energized. And it also helps me to teach some really valuable lessons to my kids. So I really love that part of my business and I love that part of my life. But it also takes me away from some of the other things that I love very much, which is you, my parent nation, and my radio show and my my coaching and all of that sort of thing. So I've been back to work um, putting together some amazing shows for 2013 and, and working with some wonderful clients and helping them to find the unique brilliance in their kids and still struggling to try to get over this bronchitis, which if any of you have... Uh, <laughs> contracted that over the uh the wonderful december uh time frame i i feel for you because this is like the worst ongoing uh sickness that i've had for a long time but i feel a thousand times better than i sound um and you know what that's kind of ironic because it's kind of a little bit about what our show is about today and you know maybe thinking of things that aren't exactly as we see them, maybe not as they appear. And uh, what we're going to be talking about today is I I have a really cool guest. Her name is Tess Worrell, and she's going to correct me if I haven't pronounced that right. But um, Tess is, she's been working with families for at least 10 years. Um, She's a speaker and a writer. She also has her uh, undergraduate training in law, and so she works as a mediator for families. And I think the most amazing thing is that she has gotten the bulk of her experience and the bulk of her joy in life from raising her eight children, which I find completely incredible. But what Tess and I are going to be talking about today is ages and stages of your kids' lives and 
what is appropriate and acceptable and expectable, if that's even a word, <laughs> and in 2013, I don't care because I'm going to make stuff up. Um, <laughs> um, what is acceptable and appropriate and expected at the different ages and stages of kids' lives? And I've noticed that kids seem to be appearing to grow up a lot faster these days than when, let's say, when I was growing up or when we were growing up as parents. And I think that parents expect their kids, because of that older appearance, to be able to take on a lot more than they should be able to take on. Also, um, we're finding that children are being diagnosed with autism spectrum disorders and, and that sort of thing a lot younger. And I believe that a lot of parents are raising those children to be less capable because of their diagnosis and maybe how they, what we believe they can handle as opposed to what they can really handle. I'm finding that my 12-year-old who has Asperger's syndrome um, is a lot less able to handle certain responsibilities and pressures than my 14-year-old who is neurotypical and big and strong and um, maybe I treat him a little too adult in some situations. So I'm really excited to welcome my guest, Tess. Tess, hi, how are you today? I'm well, thank you. How are you? I am doing really well. I'm so excited to be back on the air. I missed it so much. Um, But I'm really glad that you're our first guest of the new year. And um, I wanted to share your knowledge and expertise and, and wisdom with our audience, because I think that, well, first of all, in raising eight children, you've learned a heck of a lot. <laughs> um, <laughs> and um, also in speaking to the groups that you've spoken with and in working in the, um, the different arenas that you've worked with, I mean, mediation is a really tough field because you've, you see it all, really, I'm certain. Yes. You do. You see the complexity of family situations and the differing perspectives. And it's, yes, it's quite an education. Yeah, I, I find that too. I'm a, I'm a family coach. I work in IEP settings. So, mm, um, yes. you know, so I, I, I see it, it's, it's a wonderful experience in that it broadens your um, knowledge base beyond your own family, even if you do have a family of, you know, a baseball team. <laughs> But um, it it does broaden your perspective and puts you in other people's shoes, which I think is is vital in the work that we do. Um, But are you are you seeing the same thing that I'm seeing as far as parents expecting on on like extreme opposites, expecting either way too much or way too little from their kids today? Yes, I would agree with that. I think there is, um, and sometimes even at the same time, they will expect their children to be able to handle certain situations that are kind of beyond their developmental stage and expect certain behaviors or certain thinking skills that are just not developed yet. And then at the other end of the spectrum, expect way too little in terms of maybe responsibility or self-control. And yes, I I think that's a very accurate picture. And I think it comes from parents 
not necessarily ever having any exposure to education or training is to appropriate expectations at certain developmental stages. It's amazing because I was raised in a very loving but hands-off environment. And mm. what I mean by that, I was raised on, I was raised in, I, I lived in 12 different houses before I was in sixth grade. Oh my. <laughs> <laughs> right? So I went from living inner city, and I'm talking like majorly inner city, to uh -huh. living on a chicken farm and going to a, a Mennonite school because that was the only school to go to in the area. I mean, I've experienced a lot of different dynamics in my life. But uh -huh. in every single situation, I remember my mom saying, go play. You know, I, I don't remember being in the house with my mom a whole lot. Mm -hmm. And I think that parents today are so much more exposed to their children that they're shocked at their actual behavior. Hmm. Um, <laughs> That's <it's> scary. <laughs> I, I guess I, I find that the parents with whom I work, yes, I think there's this expectation that either parents have taken on themselves or have gotten from their surroundings that they have to be their children's playmates um, yeah. almost. And, and I don't think that that's necessarily all bad. I mean, I think it's good to be engaged and it's good to share interests with your children. But I think sometimes, yes, parents feel like I am the one responsible for everything in my child's life. But then at the other end of the spectrum, I also work with parents that seem to spend their lives getting their children someplace else to live, whether that's soccer practice or gymnastics or dance or piano. or And it's almost like parents are afraid to be alone with their children and feel like other people are the experts on my children, so I need to get my children to them, rather than being able to relax and say, you know, I'm the one created to be the primary force in my child's life. And I don't have all the answers, and I don't even need to have all the answers, but I need, do need to engage with my children. And so, again, you, I think you find these opposite extremes at work almost at the same time. Wow, that is such an interesting picture to paint. I mean, I, I'm i a very visual kinesthetic learner. So mm -hmm. I like when, when somebody's talking, I kind of visualize in my head how that scenario is playing out and see it like mm -hmm. a movie, you know, other people right. hear it. And for me, that painted such a clear picture of, you know, the mom saying, okay, we're going to have family game night, and um, but we have to do it on Fridays at 7 o'clock <laughs> because everything else is filled with you going somewhere else to be right. entertained or taught. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And wow, I mean, that's a pretty amazing concept. If we think about, you know, the only time that we spend with our children is getting them to the experts, to your point, to the experts that are going to teach them what they need to know, when actually they could learn more by sitting in the kitchen and having a conversation with us while we're making dinner. Oh, absolutely. Yes. Um, Why do you think we're so afraid of our kids? I mean, well, I we're, we're getting ready to go to a break, so that was kind of a broad, open-ended question. <laughs> <laughs> I think a lot of it is just uh, we have now a culture that is so age 
segregated. Um, you know, when my oldest child was in elementary school, the elementary school went from kindergarten to fifth grade, and every kindergartner was assigned a fifth grade buddy. And the fifth grader would look out for the kindergartner at recess and at lunchtime, and they would go in and read a book twice a week. And so the school really worked on building kind of that inter-age relationships. At this point, that same school system, the kindergartners and first graders are in one building, the second, third, and fourth graders are in a different building, the fifth and sixth graders are in a different building, the seventh graders have their own building, the ninth graders have their own building. And so, I mean, the children spend all of their time with people their age, maybe a year older, maybe a year younger. I love that, and I really, we're going to go to break right now, but when we come back, I want to talk about how we can integrate our children with other people of different ages to help build those bridges. Stay tuned for more of the show. Tara, the self-proclaimed queen of accountability, loudly advocates positive parenting and unique education for spirited children. She wants to help you shout out the fact that children need to be raised to discover their own unique brilliance. We'll be right back. to the Travel Chick Show with Bonnie Kitohata. Mondays at 4 p.m. Pacific here on the Rockstar Radio Network. Bonnie will share with you an hour of travel ideas, experiences, adventures, and tips from her guests. Topics range from local day trips to international excursions, from organized professional vacations to spur-of-the-moment getaways. For fun or business, groups or solo, by bus, car, plane, train, boat, bike, hike, or horse, you'll also hear about travel-related subjects like cultures, travel photography, keepsakes, and more. Whether you love to travel yourself or you enjoy seeing the world vicariously through others, join us and enjoy travel stories from around the U.S. and around the world. For more information on The Travel Chick Show, check out Bonnie's website, thetravelchick.com. Then join us for the show, The Travel Chick Show, live Mondays at 4 p.m. Pacific Time with your host, Bonnie Kitohara, here on the Rockstar Radio Network. Are you happy with your life? Satisfied with the direction you're taking? More importantly, are you content with the results you're seeing? Then Success Profiles Radio is the program for you. Join host Brian K. Wright as he talks to experts in many areas relating to life success, including expertise in leadership, business, relationships, careers, networking, health, overcoming adversity, and much more. Each week, we'll explore different aspects of success and how to apply them to your life. For more on Brian and the show, check out his website, briankwright.com. Each week is a dose of inspiration. So many people live their lives wanting more than they currently have. Success Profiles Radio is a show that will clearly demonstrate the principle, if I can do it, you can do it. So don't miss this opportunity to take control of your life and your results. Success Profiles Radio with Brian K. Wright. Mondays at 5 p.m. Central on the Rockstar Radio Network. Welcome back to the show. Tara's passion and purpose is to redirect parents who are frustrated trying to raise the perfect child in an imperfect world and encourage them to discover the unique brilliance in their children in themselves, even on those days where they wonder why they ever had kids in the first place. Here she is, Tara Kennedy Klein. 
Hey, welcome back, everybody. We have an awesome show and an awesome guest today. I'm really excited. We are hosting Tess Orrell. Am I pronouncing that correct, Tess? Yes, yes. Okay, good, good. Um, Tess has a new book that just came out called Toddlers on the Move, and she also has a website called YourFamilyMattersToUs.com. And um, I really was inspired by a lot of the blogs, and I don't know if you call them blogs, but basically suggestions, tips, information that you have for families on there. Um, I thought it was was really um, powerful and informative and easy to understand. And I think today, we were talking before the break about how parents send their kids to other experts to teach them. Um, what we were talking about was, you know, teach them piano, teach them soccer, teach them dance. But I think one of the biggest struggles that parents face today is that expert means another thing as well. And that's parenting experts. I don't like to call myself a parenting expert. I know all Mm -hmm. of my, my branding people and my PR people say, well, you are. No, I'm really not. I don't think anyone's gotten it that right yet, (laughs) to be honest with you. But I think that parents are intimidated by the term parenting expert, because that indicates that there's something that we don't know that someone else fundamentally does that right. should be learned. And mm-hmm. I disagree with that. I, think I, I Go ahead. I'm sorry. I wholeheartedly agree. I kind of find myself in the same position when I'm working with parents. And when I speak or, or when I'm introduced to a couple, often the word expert comes out, and I try to very quickly um, distance myself from that because I truly believe that the expert on a child is that child's parents. Nobody is going to spend the amount of time with that child or have the depth of love for that child or the understanding of background of that child. No one else other than the parents is going to have more than that. Um, Certainly, I think there are people who can offer wise counsel, who can give a perspective that may be a healthy new look at a situation, may offer some strategies that help parents work more effectively with their children. And I think that wisdom is out there, but the only expert on a child is the two parents or the a variety of parents that have come into that child's life. I agree. Um, you know, I, I know that people sometimes make fun of the term, it takes a village. But mm-hmm. it really, it really does. It really mm-hmm. does. I mean, there's there's things that parents are unsure of, that they're mm-hmm. scared of, even, um, or there are so many parents out there that don't have a, a belief in themselves and their own ability. So mm-hmm. for me, a true parenting expert would be that person who could bring out the brilliance of an individual's parenting style, who can Mm -hmm. empower that parent to trust themselves and trust their beliefs and trust what works for them, that Mm -hmm. would be a parenting expert in my eyes. Exactly, yes. Um, So there we go with that. (laughs) Yes. Parents were designed to be the parents of the children in their lives. They, that's mm-hmm. innate within them, and I agree completely. The expert is the one who helps them see that and who helps them learn how to express that in, in a way that works within all the family dynamics. But it's already there. 
I agree. And, you know, I, I can tell you, Tess, that that has become my goal for 2013 um, mm. is to stop telling parents what they're doing wrong, how they're harming their kids and mm-hmm. start asking them, what are you doing right and how are you teaching and empowering and raising your child to be the best person that they can become within your village? So, right. you know, that that's oh. become my goal. <laughs> that's wonderful. <laughs> So let me ask you, first of all, we were talking about, um, you were mentioning about how schools in particular, like kids will be, they used to be kind of integrated, like within Mm -hmm. an elementary school, the kindergartners and the fifth graders, they all kind of interacted together. And now we've segregated them by age so much that they don't, um, it's, it's hard to learn new things from your peers when you have no exposure to them. So, uh, and I also know that I saw a lot of parents gathering over the holidays and a lot of the conversation that I heard afterwards was, is, and it's typical, I'm not, you know, calling anybody out or judging anyone, but, oh my gosh, can you believe that child acted like that in front of so-and-so's little one? Or can you believe mm-hmm. that child did that? You know, or can you believe they let their their kid act like that? I think parents need to have a better understanding of different ages and stages of kids' Mm -hmm. lives because I think we're denying our children an amazing education that comes from playing with the bigger kids, leading the smaller kids. Right. Oh, I agree completely. Um, and, And I think that plays into even what parents know and don't know. You know, a hundred years ago, when there were larger families and extended families lived closer, as children grew up, they helped take care of younger siblings. They had to respond to older siblings. If they were the youngest children in a family, they had younger cousins that lived down the street, you know, or across the street. And so just kind of organically, as people grew up, they learned what could be expected of children at different stages, and they learned how to train up the children around them that were younger and how to respond to elders. And again, with our age-segregated society, you know, if they are in daycare, they're still only with people their own age. In school, they're only with people their own age. Siblings, if there's only two children in a family and they're a couple of years apart, they're not necessarily learning how to take care of somebody younger or respond to somebody older. And a lot of that natural education got lost. And so now Mm. I think parents have to work harder to go out and get that information. What is appropriate to be doing for my infant? What does my infant need most from me? What does my preschooler need most from me? And what should I be expecting from them? And I I just really feel badly for parents because they've lost that experiential learning, and we just need to find other ways to get it now. Mm Mm-hmm. I agree completely. I mean, it's it was so evident to me when um, my my really good friend has a, a younger daughter, and then all the rest of the kids are older boys. That's that's mm. who hangs out to them, you know. And they kept the the mom kept saying, "Oh, you can't talk about that in front of her. She's too little," or "You can't say that in front of her. She's too little," or "You can't do that because she's a girl and she doesn't understand." And I thought, you know what? She, first of all, 
she is not going to understand what they're talking about unless someone has defined it for her. So don't mm -hmm. do that. And second of all, how is she ever going to learn how to act and be around older boys if she's never exposed to what older boys do? Right. You know, and I'm not talking about inappropriate behavior either. I'm talking about running around in the backyard and, you know, getting dirty. Mm -hmm. oh, oh, goodness. Yeah, you know, it's like, come on, folks. You know, the, the boys are allowed to run around the house because that's what boys do. But little girls can't do that. You know, it just it it seems so odd to me that we expect even certain genders to act differently too soon. I don't think that parents realize that just because you dress her in a little pink frilly dress doesn't mean that she innately has different um, beliefs and feelings and desires of, for play and fun mm -hmm. than a boy her age if she's six. You know, right. she hasn't gone through puberty. She hasn't, you know, she hasn't started feeling like a different gender. She just feels like a six-year-old. Mm-hmm. Well, and I guess I do think that there are gender differences. I think there are a lot of gender sharing, and I, but I think the most important thing is to know each individual child as they are. And, yeah, to make assumptions about how a person should behave instead of getting to know them. You know, if she's intimidated by all the physical activity, that's one thing. If she's wanting to join in, that's another. And then you teach them how to include her safely, you know, in terms of a six-year-old body instead of a 12-year-old body. But, yeah, I, I just, I think because we know so little, we start making assumptions. And those assumptions can just really get in the way of having healthy relationships and honoring the people we're interacting with and building them up into the unique person they are. So, I mean, is there is there one quick thing that I could have done in that situation um, to kind of tell the mom to c let her daughter play without offending her? Hmm. Um, I think sometimes the easiest way to approach people is is maybe more with questions. And so to say, do you think she wants to go and be out there? Or even, are you concerned that she's afraid? Is there something we can do about that? Just to try and maybe understand the concern behind the mom's expressions. But then also maybe open the mom up to thinking, oh, gosh, I wasn't even thinking that she might want to join in. And, and sometimes that, that questioning can open her mind to possibilities without it being, without her getting defensive. Does that I make love sense? that. Yeah. And you know what? I, I absolutely love that because that's something that's so easy. You know, if you answer the mom's concern or the dad's concern or the grandmother's concern even, um, mm -hmm. it makes them stop and think, why am I really doing this? And is this even a concern? Because maybe wow. she'll say, I'm afraid that she's going to get hurt, you know, or I'm afraid she's going to get her dress dirty. And then you could say, well, do you want a change of clothes? <laughs> mm -hmm. <Exactly. laughs> you know, exactly. It's something that simple. I mean, it may not even be it may not even be something as dramatic as what we're we're putting into our own minds or, or what we're creating for ourselves. So I really like, you know, we always talk about asking our kids open ended questions. Maybe if you have a concern about something a parent is doing, ask the parent the open ended questions. I think that's just as valuable. When we come back, we're going to talk about some traits for ha healthy family relationships. 
Stay tuned for more of the show. Tara, the self-proclaimed queen of accountability, loudly advocates positive parenting and unique education for spirited children. She wants to help you shout out the fact that children need to be raised to discover their own unique brilliance. We'll be right back. Congratulations on being the proud owner of an adorable, soft, cuddly, sweet-smelling, smiling, cooing, hungry, tired, gassy, screaming little bundle of joy. So now what? Where's the owner's manual for this thing? Where are my instructions? Right here. It's Baby and Toddler Instructions with Blythe Lipman on toginet.com. Infant care specialist Blythe Lipman has worked with babies for over 20 years and works extensively with new parents providing workshops, in-home visits, tips, and daily phone calls to ease those frazzled nerves. With baby and toddler instructions, you can get the advice you need on how to survive and enjoy your baby's first year. For more information on Blythe and how she can help you, go to babyinstructions.com. From 32 ways to stop a baby from crying to 14 ways to get a baby to eat and so much more, it's Baby and Toddler Instructions with Blythe Lipman on toginet.com. Are you ready to start rocking that woo-hoo that only you do? Because Lisa Stedman is on a mission. She will dare you, challenge you, enlighten you, provoke and empower you to bring out that inner woo-hoo. Lisa is an internationally acclaimed best-selling author. She is a breakup expert, a brand consultant, CEO of Woohoo Inc. and the Woohoo Radio Network. She will show you how to take your boo-hoo and turn it into woo-hoo. Get rebellious and get real. Get your dreams off the back burner. Get inspired and motivated to take action. Start rocking that woohoo that only you do in love, life, and business. She is going to be here for you every Wednesday at 1 p.m. Central Standard Time. Only here on the Woohoo Radio Network. Welcome back to the show. Tara's passion and purpose is to redirect parents who are frustrated trying to raise the perfect child in an imperfect world and encourage them to discover the unique brilliance in their children in themselves, even on those days where they wonder why they ever had kids in the first place. Here she is, Tara Kennedy Klein. Welcome back, Parent Nation. We are talking with uh, Tess Worrell, who has the website yourfamilymatterstous.com and uh, has recently released a new book called Toddlers on the Move, which I'm really excited about. I don't have toddlers anymore, but um, I love the progression of building relationships and understanding through from the time your child is very, very small. So I think that's such a, I, I think that's such an awesome topic. Um, Before we get back into the subject matter, I do want to remind you, if you're listening to the show right now, if you have a comment or a question or a suggestion or a tip, you are welcome to call in. We do have a call in line. That number is 877-864-4869. And we're also on Facebook. So at Stop Raising Einstein on Facebook. So be sure to friend us. 
Um, be sure to get your voice heard if you uh, if you have something to say. We would love to hear from you. And um, Tess, before the break, we were talking about um, we were talking about a lot of stuff actually. But one of the things that I really wanted to get into was uh, the topic of friendships because you know. <clears throat> I know that a lot of parents like me who are dealing with a child on the autism spectrum, one of the biggest struggles that we have is building friendships. I mean, my, my son has 142 IQ. I'm not concerned with academics with him, quite honestly. You know, if, yeah. if, he, if he would go to school tomorrow, if he would go to school for the next three months and wouldn't crack a book, and I would have to do all his homework with him at home at the end of the day, but he made a new friend every day, um, to me, that would be more valuable use of his time socially um, and for his future as a grown adult. Because I know as far as learning, he'll do that organically. Mm-hmm. But I think that we have made friendships for our children so difficult. I think society has become so judgmental. Um, we actually decide who our kids can and cannot be friends with based on how we feel about their parents, where they live, how they dress, where they work. Um, you know, it, it's to me, it's completely unacceptable. My mom knew my friends because they came over to the house and my mom was required to meet my friends. But for the most part, she didn't know, like, she didn't know details about their families and she didn't care. I was having fun with these people and I was staying out of trouble and that's what mattered to her. And if we did get into trouble, she would talk to us as a group. Mm-hmm. You know, she wouldn't say, you know, she wouldn't go to somebody's house and say, Tara's not allowed to play with your kid anymore because your kid is a troublemaker. She would sit us all down and say, what, what made you decide to make that choice? Mm-hmm. You know, where did that come from? We can't do that anymore. We're not allowed to talk to each other's kids anymore. And so I think what we've done is we've isolated our children and we've decided to, you know, pick and choose the the best of the best that we want them to play with. And I know that that's got to be affecting relationships. I know that's got to be affecting friendships. And I also know that it's going to affect them, their attitudes and their beliefs when they grow up of who they can have relationships with, how they want to be treated, you know, their own elit- elitist beliefs about themselves. So... Mm-hmm. I know that you take families through um, ways that parents can help their children build healthy friendships. Can you give us an idea of what some of those ideas are? Oh, that's such a wide topic, but yes, I will will try. I think the first thing that struck me as you were talking is, and I'm not sure if this gets at what you were trying to say, but I think an element can be that because we live in such a consumer culture, and we and you know we just kind of look at almost everything in life as what is this of value to me? You know, mm-hmm. it's valuable if it helps me. It's not valuable if it doesn't help me. I can't if it's stopped being valuable. I can throw it away and get something new. And we've begun, I think, to treat people as stuff, oh. and we look at people as to do you help me? If you do, I want you in my life. If you no longer help me, I want to get rid of you and move on to the next best, newer addition that will help me out. And I think that is something that has got to change. We have got to start seeing people as people, not stuff, mm. and see them as inherently valued. 
and stop looking at them, you know, through a cost-benefit analysis and more as who are you, what makes you up, how can we relate to each other. And I think that really starts at home. Um, I'm a big advocate for the majority of life, in my opinion, needs to happen at home, especially the younger children are. And home becomes kind of the laboratory where we work out living well with each other, honoring each other, appreciating each other, working through conflict with each other. And then as children learn those healthy dynamics at home, as they move out into their friendships, they get to practice those skills in increasingly complex ways and with more diverse people. But, you know, I think there are so many parents who, you know, they're taking their toddlers to play dates or they're, you know, setting up experiences for their children. And if you don't have that home component, it becomes kind of like a stew where you throw everything that you had in the kitchen cupboard in and it's a mismatch and it's nasty because Mm -hmm. there's been no focus and there's been no you know, agenda for how to teach healthiness. Whereas if you have that at home, then when you start having these friendship experiences, they become learning opportunities for this is how I show respect and honor and care for someone who may be very different from me, for someone who may be very similar. But then people are seen as people, not pros or cons in my life. I I love that. And, you know, it, it brought up a couple things for me. The first thing that that it brought up for me was I do have a practice in my life and in our family um, where if someone is constantly bringing me down, I bless and release them. And I've taught that Mm -hmm. to my kids too. And it's not that I um, dismiss them. It's, Mm -hmm. It's basically more of a matter of I value you as a person, but... Mm -hmm but you're not bringing strength and light to me in my life. And um, so you go, you go about your life, I'll go about my life. If we interact with each other, um, that's okay, but I'm not mm-hmm. going to seek you out. Yes, and I think that's a healthy skill to teach our children of if I'm engaged in a relationship that isn't going well, um, there are certain responsibilities I think we have to minister to people in their need, and maybe it's not always reciprocal. But I think there is also a healthy dynamic of understanding this person um, isn't a good person in my life, at least right now. Uh, their orientation toward me maybe isn't healthy, and I've tried my best to rework the dynamics. It's not changing. And so I'm going to set some boundaries. And I think that's incredibly healthy. That's awesome. Because I, I, I love the idea of setting boundaries. Um, I think that we've become a culture of, again, you know, diametrically opposed. Um, we either tell our kids that, you know, we're not going to decide who they can interact with and we're not going to set any boundaries for them. We're just going to let them go. Or Mm -hmm. we set such strict boundaries for them that we don't allow them to grow. So I love the idea of setting a boundary, but making it their own and saying, you know, how does this feel for you? How does this person make you feel? Mm -hmm. You know, and is that what you want in your life? And if it's not, I'm going to show you how 
to bless and release this person so that it doesn't feel bad for either of you, but it mm-hmm. allows each of you to grow separately. And right. that's, you know, it, we do, so there are certain situations where we need to grow separately. Um, and we don't have to encourage our children to, you know, keep bringing that person back into their life so that they can heal them. I think a lot of mm-hmm. parents think, you know, oh, that kid is so troubled. Um, she's, she's mean to my daughter because she's troubled, you know, the mean girl mm-hmm. syndrome. So I'm going to have right. my daughter bring her into our house so that I can heal her. Don't do mm-hmm. that. Right. <laughs> you know? yeah, I agree don't do completely. that to your daughter, you know, like teach your daughter how to create her own strength and, and her own boundaries and allow her to have that because that's going to be a, but a much better lesson for your daughter in the long run than trying to teach her how to be a counselor. Yes. Yeah. You know? And one thing we do with our children is, you know, we have a core set of values that we um, we say people need to be about these things, about honesty, about caring, about um, reaching out to others in need, about showing respect to others, you know, those kinds of behaviors. And we're going to expect those behaviors from you no matter who you're with, no mm-hmm. matter who your friends are. And we're never going to blame the other person because you don't behave well. You're mm-hmm. responsible for how you behave with them. We might say that if you show yourself incapable of holding up our family's values time after time after time when you're with this person, we're going to step in and, and put, put some space between you and that person. Not that they are the bad guy, but that you just at this point in time don't either have the maturity or the strength to live who you are when you're with them. And I think that's important for parents to be able to do. Um, but I don't think you want to do that too quickly. I mean, kids stumble. Kids have to learn. They have mm-hmm. to grow. And that's going to happen in the context of the relationships they have. And I think it's really important for parents, and it's this constant balancing act of knowing when to step in and support, when to stand back and support, or when to step in and separate. And, and it just... It's just a daily being in tune with your children and what's going on with them, I think. Oh, I love that. I love that a lot. I, we have family pillars, so I can totally mm-hmm. relate to mm-hmm. what you're saying. Yeah. You know, we're, we're honest. We're gentle. We don't lie. Um, and instead of having a thousand rules, we have our four family pillars. We're respectful. Mm-hmm. And so when you come into our house, I don't care if you're a perfect stranger or if you live here, those are our family pillars and you're expected to honor them. And I love that. You know, if you can't be the person that you need to be in that space, then we're going to show you how to set that boundary. I absolutely love that. Um, When we come back, we're going to talk about the greatest struggles for parents and some ways to work through them when we come right back. Stay tuned for more of the show. Tara, the self-proclaimed queen of accountability, loudly advocates positive parenting and unique education for spirited children. She wants to help you shout out the fact that children need to be raised to discover their own unique brilliance. We'll be right back. The 
Renee Beth Wells Hour is a talk radio show where we reach out, reach deep, and talk about topics of substance. We'll cover points of interest, such as World War II and the Holocaust, the Vietnam War, the planets and the oceans, skydiving, rock climbing, and much, much more. Join me every Monday at 9 a.m. Eastern Standard Time as we delve into and discuss fascinating subjects. It's a program to pique your interest for sure. with Juliana and connect with what lies beneath. Friday afternoons at 4 or 3 central on toginet.com. Juliana is certified as a life coach who wants people to connect. Connect with what lies beneath those truths and answers. And through her counseling practice, she has helped others find their personal power and fulfill their dreams. And she wants to do the same for you here on Connect with Juliana. Through intimate discussions, intriguing subject matters, and the expertise of her guests. For more on Juliana and her show, check out her website, connectwithjuliana.com. Juliana will cover it all. Nothing is off limits. She wants to know what matters to you. Make the connection. Tune in to TogiNet to connect with Juliana to find out the facts that could be hidden beneath the surface. Connect with Juliana on TogiNet to make a quality connection in your life. Friday afternoons at 4, 3 central on toginet.com. Welcome back to the show. Tara's passion and purpose is to redirect parents who are frustrated trying to raise the perfect child in an imperfect world and encourage them to discover the unique brilliance in their children in themselves, even on those days where they wonder why they ever had kids in the first place. Here she is, Tara Kennedy Klein. Hey, welcome back. We are in the final stretch of a really great show today with our uh, guest, Tess Torrell. And we're talking about um, helping our kids through building friendships, building relationships, and what's acceptable and expected at the different ages and stages of life. And Tess, you you take parents through... um, helping to build a foundation for relationships from the time that that babies are infants, which I find completely fascinating. I know that, you know, I must have done something right as when my kids were babies (laughs) because, you know, my son has always wanted to be around everybody. He's always looking for the Mm -hmm. great things in people, and I love that. I have friends whose kids do not want to be around anybody. You know, they, they're so picky and, and, and fickle when it comes to making friends. It doesn't make them bad people. I just don't think that they've learned the skill of building healthy friendships. I don't think mm-hmm. they, you know, they were shown how to do that. So, you know, starting at babies, you know, we, we only have 15 minutes left in the show, but what are some ideas and tips that you can give to parents that might be listening on how they can, you know, help their children from the time they're infants? Well, I think the most important thing for an infant is 
that's that's the year, that first 12, 14 months, is when a child is developing its most subconscious but clear view of how the world works. And babies are figuring out either the world is a very secure place and I can trust the people around me, or they're figuring out it's a very insecure place and I can't trust the people around me. And that comes essentially for how parents care for them. And and I love the fact that we can build a starting point of trust in the world through just the simple everyday things we do for our infant. You know, when a baby cries because they're wet and mom or dad comes in and changes them, they learn the world can be trusted. When I'm wet or dirty, somebody takes care of that for me. When I'm hungry, somebody takes care of that for me. When I cry, somebody responds to that. And, you know, I know as a mom, there were all those times where my baby was crying and I didn't know why and I was trying all these different things. But I think even in that attempt, at a very subconscious level, our child learns when I cry out, there's somebody there for me who's giving it their best shot. And luckily, mm-hmm. babies tend to be pretty forgiving. And so as we go through just that daily care, when we are consistent and loving in that, our child's perception of the world, their starting point kind of subconsciously is that I want to engage with the world. This is a good place. Whereas, you know, if parents don't respond to their children or are inconsistent, that child's starting point becomes, I'm not sure I can trust this this environment. So I, I think that's a key foundation for infancy. And then you move into toddlerhood, and, you know, and that's kind of the control stage. Children are learning how to control their bodies, whether it's to play with their toys, to dress themselves, to eat, to, you know, potty train. And they're kind of all about control, and it's a great stage for teaching self-control. How do I um, control my own behaviors within the context of relationships? And once there's that foundation of trust established, then we can move on to teaching children how to engage with others but control kind of their natural instincts or their, their automatic reactions, and that's an incredibly important skill for those later years where they're going to move into other relationships and need to modify their behavior based on what somebody else needs. They're also learning how to control themselves to respond to what a parent tells them to do. You know, and just that basic fundamental ability to obey a parent teaches a responsiveness to others that's very, very important. Um, and then, you know, as preschoolers, you then begin, preschoolers love being with other people. And I think that's when, you know, if you have those occasional play dates, when you have other people into your home, they love being around people. But the, what they're really doing is watching parents to see how parents interact with each other and how parents interact with them. And they're just soaking that up. So as we build healthy relationships with our children and with the people around us, they're going to begin to model that in their own relationship. I don't know if that is getting at what you want. I want to touch base with you and make sure it is. It absolutely is. I mean, I a couple of things came to mind um, as you were talking, and the first one being um, as with the infants, with responding to infants. I mean, it to many of us, to most of us, I think it would seem commonsensical that if a baby cries, you respond to them. 
them. I know personally, um, my mother and my grandmother gave me completely different advice in that arena. You know, my mother was like, the baby's crying. You have to tend to the baby. You know, you pick him up immediately. My grandmother, on the other hand, was of the mindset, babies need to cry it out. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I can see how for a young mother, that could be extremely confusing. What do I do? There's <laughs> two different schools of thought there. You know, right. do I stick a pacifier in its mouth and let it, cry, you know, soothe itself and cry it out and learn how to calm itself down? Because that's what Anna said. Or, mm-hmm. you know, do I respond to the baby every time it cries, every time it makes a sound? And then Nana said, now you're spoiling the baby. Well, I am, and this is my own little realm, but I honestly truly believe you cannot spoil a child who's under six months. I um, agree with you. That, agree. that there's just <laughs> no way to do it. Um, now, are there times where children need to maybe cry a bit? I, I think there are those moments. I think sometimes crying can be kind of a release valve for a baby. You know, if you've had the baby at the grocery, at the haircut, on the way to a friend, and you've had a very busy day, sometimes I think that change in environment and all that stimulus can build up in a baby, and sometimes the only way they can get it out is to cry a bit, and sometimes that's needed. Um, I think there are all sorts of practical situations where you can't respond to your baby's cry. You know, if the spaghetti's boiling over, or if your toddler's just fallen and scraped their knee, you know, there are a myriad of situations throughout the day where baby starts crying, but you need to attend to something else first. Mm-hmm. And through those very natural situations, babies learn sometimes, um, you know, I'm not going to be picked up right away and that that's okay. I can survive it. I'm okay. Mm-hmm. But I think there has to be the underlying pattern of I am cared for. People mm-hmm. respond to me when I cry out. People are in my life to be there to take care of me. That needs to be the message our infants receive. And it's it's going to be imperfect. It's not going to be, you know, it's not going to be perfect. But if that's the pattern and that's the goal, then, the, then our babies learn this world is a place where I can trust it. And that's absolutely critical if you're going to have relationship. Trust is the foundation for every relationship. And I think when we have infants who approach life wondering if this situation can be trusted kind of at that subliminal level, they're always holding back. They're always testing the water. And that makes relationships much harder. Experiences can overcome that hesitancy, and they can think, okay, this time I can trust. But their starting point is insecurity, and that makes relationships just a lot harder. And I think you end up with people who are always kind of judging the others around them, and Mm -hmm. that makes relationships harder. You know, I think that the most important message that I would share with parents, and, you know, here's the deal. If you're a single parent, if you're a divorced parent, if you're, you know, raising your kid with your mom, or if you are in a committed, loving relationship, if you're in a committed, not-so-loving relationship, I think the most important thing that we need to learn how to do in front of our children is resolve conflict in a mature Mm -hmm. way. 
and, mm-hmm. and a mature, respectful, loving way. You know, yeah. if you're constantly fighting with the person who, the people around you, and you're walking out, or you're, you know, giving someone the silent treatment for three days in a row, or you know, mm-hmm. you're you're fighting and disagreeing and trying to always be right or prove the other person wrong, you're teaching your child that that's how relationships look. Mm-hmm. And yeah. it doesn't surprise me at all. You know, I remember when I was a little girl, the divorce rate was 50 or 60%. Today, the divorce rate is 50 or 60%. There are a lot more single parents today than there were when we were kids. Um, mm-hmm. But, do you know, I honestly believe, Tess, that that is a result of constant and consistent examples of how to not resolve conflict. Mm-hmm. I would agree. Yes. And I think, I think one of the most important things that if people can get this framework in their mind is so often when people are in conflict, they make each other the enemy. Mm. And so then you're flinging arrows at each other or you're trying to conquer each other or you're trying to prove I'm right, you're wrong. And if people can shift from that perspective to a perspective where the thing that is dividing us is the enemy. And we're a team trying to figure out how to defeat that enemy. Just that shift in perspective can make such a difference because it keeps the relationship as the most important thing and resolving the conflict is the thing that must be done together, not Mm. against each other. Oh, my gosh, Tess, I love that. I heard a quote one time that the only thing worth fighting for is getting back in right relationships with each other. Oh, that's great. (laughs) I love that. I can't believe that our time is up already. (laughs) But what valuable information. And I thank you so much for for being the person who brought all of that insight and wisdom to us. Tess, before we go, I want to make sure that everyone has your website information, yourfamilymatterstous.com. The title of your book is Toddlers on the Move. Parent Nation, please join us on Facebook and join the conversation. We will be sure to bring up topics of interest if you share them with us on future shows it's stop raising einstein on facebook and uh, you can definitely connect with us at multilevelmom.com as well thank you so much and have a wonderful week everyone keep playing Thanks for listening to Stop Raising Einstein with your host, Tara Kennedy Klein. Make these Stop Raising Einstein principles your own. Love unconditionally, give freely, laugh openly, learn daily, grow immensely. And of course, listen to the show.